Hello and welcome to the Disney Animated Cannonball, where I, Talon Lee, he, him, and I, Fox Lee, she, her, watch our way through the entirety of the Disney Animated Canon films. And here we are, smack dab in the waning light of the Disney Renaissance with 1998's Mulan. Hmm. A banger of mixed proportions. <laughs> it is, uh, in some ways, a banger. In some ways, just kind of jammed together components and all over a lot more British than you think. So it is <laughs> bangers and mash. Oh, boo! <laughs> boo! Look, it's not Hercules, and I'm grateful for that. Mmm, mmm. But before we can sit around criticizing this movie, we have to summarize the plot in 60 seconds. Well, it's your turn for that this episode, I'm pretty sure. It is indeed. Alright, well, I'm going to pretend I have control of the stopwatch. Your time starts now. While Fa Mulan, a young girl, is being terrible at being an iconic young girl, China is invaded in a draft instituted. To protect her father from the draft, she signs up in his place in disguise as a young man, which she is also terrible at. But no fear, everyone is terrible at being a man in this movie. Training montage, that song everyone knows, that other song everyone knows, Mulan and her army friends who all accept one another find a village smashed by the invaders, there's an outflank, a maneuver, and Mulan kills an army on her own, but in the process is outed as a woman. Her friends reject her, then the invaders attack the emperor, as they should. She returns, convinces her friends to help her, inexplicable cross-dressing, another montage, save the day, emperor hugs Mulan, she gets the best of her friends, as a boyfriend, move over, go home, sorry about Eddie Murphy. <laughs> And with 15 seconds to spare, no less. I'm impressed, but on the other hand, that sounded like you prepared some notes earlier. I have absolutely no shame about preparing notes here, especially if it makes it funnier. Fine, oh. fine, we'll accept this disingenuous win. I've been doing it for the whole season. <gasps> and this is how you tell me? <laughs> In front of my dog? Dishonor on the dog. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your podcast. But yes, this is the Disney movie about China. It is. They they extremely wanted some merchandisable Chinese characters. <laughs> just one. There's just one Disney movie about China. <laughs> In the same way that there are only three video games about America. Well, for a long time, there is. Mm -hmm. like, we got another one, but it was like last year. All right, then. Now... You, as I understand it, watched this movie, of course, originally way back in the 90s, but you did also rewatch it reasonably recently and also watched the sequels, which I understand has <laughs> an effect on you. Uh, look, the sequel mostly exists to make me dislike Mushu even more, but I don't feel like that's seriously coloring my, my reflection upon this film, because I already hate Mushu. Yeah. He is... The thing that stopped me from liking this film when it was in cinemas. <laughs> he he kind of is just the double take on his own. And that you get a little away from the movie and you think, this movie's not so bad. And then you go back to it and you're like, oh no, it's got Eddie Murphy in it. It, like, I mean, you remember the good bits and you're like, yeah, it can't be that bad. I shouldn't be mad at it just because Mulan was like a clumsy weirdo who sucked at masculine stuff as well as feminine stuff. And not, you know, what I would have preferred, which was a unassailable badass who was also bisexual and a garbage hunk but you know that's not what they were doing that's not what they were doing it's not for me but uh you know i, I don't know who the fuck any murphy dragons <laughs> disney it's like 1998 you couldn't have found a chinese american comedian who was just dying for a disney sidekick role fuck you couldn't have yeah uh, especially when you know that the original role 
was going to go a guy, go to a guy called Joe Piscopo. That he does not sound Chinese. Is he Chinese? No. Okay. No, he's a big white guy from Joyzy. No, we almost got Joyzy Dragon, did we? Mm-hmm. Goodness me. Anything else from you for the double take? Or is this movie, as with many Renaissance things, about exactly as good as you remember it? Oh, this isn't even double take. I, I learned nothing new from this screening. I completely validated my existing opinion. <laughs> but normally we start the double take by first talking about our existing relationship with this movie. Which right. I think I did. Just yeah. by talking about the fact that I saw it in cinemas. Actually, I, I, for some reason, I can't remember the circumstances, but for some reason I was in touch with my best friend from uh, first grade and, and we went and saw this movie just to, you know, hang out and do something together after all those years. That was weird. But uh, yeah, um, you know, it was a fun way to spend some time with a friend, but I still hate any murky dragon. I honestly can't tell you when I watched this, when this movie became part of my experience. Um, it's very strange. I usually can think very cleanly about my relationship to movies, especially during that period of my life, because going to the movies was like an annual event. Uh, but for some reason, I know I've seen it. I don't remember if I saw it in the movie theaters. I don't remember if I saw it for the first time on VHS. Genuinely, completely missing this patch of memory. So Interesting. You probably osmosed the, the one really good song before you saw the movie. <laughs> I do think I knew the song I'm sorry, I do think I knew the movie before I knew the song. Okay. Like, I don't think I heard that song went, wow, that absolutely claps. I'm going to go check this out somewhere <laughs> else. No, I, I, I am pretty confident that I had seen the movie and then the song became a thing amongst men of my age. Because it really is. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason that there's a famous uh, image of 4chan correctly doing the lyrics without anyone messing up. <laughs> this, um, yeah, I, I feel like this movie gets a lot more points uh, for songs and soundtrack than it should. Uh, because as far as I can tell, it's, it's only got that one thing fucking going for it. Like, you know what? There's my double take. Um, Reflection is a worse song <laughs> than I believed. It's so bland and so just boring 90s. It's it's really out of place. I don't get that. Also, I don't... Is, is that the voice actor singing or is that a guest sing? Um, for Reflection? Is that Ming-Na Wen? No, it's Ming-Na Wen's singing double, which is Leia Salonga. That's a familiar name. She's the singing voice of Princess Jasmine. That's it. Yeah. You know, one of the non-white people in that movie. <laughs> Half of a character. Sure, sure. Uh-huh. That's being generous considering how little singing Jasmine does. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I couldn't have picked who it was, but I, I kind of intuited that it wasn't her, because she suddenly goes in. It almost is its own pop song cover, right? Yeah. Like, it just sounds like a song that might have been on the radio in the 90s, complete with, like, super generic lyrics. Wowie. Mm-hmm. I found that, <laughs> upon reflection, I found that. <laughs> get through your own joke without laughing at it, you idiot. <laughs> Upon reflection, I found that to be one of the weakest parts of the movie. Uh, because we get the setup for her being sort of unsatisfied with her expectation- with, well, societal expectations on her, and, and how she can't fulfill them or whatever, but the song is more sort of about being her true self. But we get that at a time where we don't- like, she doesn't have a, an image of what her true self is. 
She doesn't know what she would be in the absence of being that. So I just feel like the song's a really bad representation of that and not a good I want song and really weakens the opening of this movie uh, b before she takes off to war just because it's sort of... There's a disconnect between her being dissatisfied and her running off to the army, right? Right. Um, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> Though I'm really getting into it now, I guess I should be saving this for a, a deeper look uh, later on. Indeed. Did you have any double take yourself? No. Okay. No, not a thing. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> this, well. this movie is exactly the sum of its parts. <laughs> I think that's fair. And, you know, including the fact that one of those parts is Eddie Murphy Dragon. Mm. Actually, you know what? No, there is a joyfulness in the comedic animation that I do genuinely appreciate. Yao's teeth digging a gouge in the post. The panda just, fuck this shit, I'm outing of the whole movie. The way that the magistrate's pen and um, tablet spin in the air when he faints. Like, all that stuff. That's, that's fun. I didn't really appreciate just how much really fun animation there is in this. Yeah, this is definitely, it's it's like Hercules in that it is definitely a departure from how solemn Disney was starting to be uh, with, with the two that came before. Uh, there's, there's some goofy shit in this and a lot of, like, modern, uh, a lot of modern visual gags and stuff. Um, and, and, of course... Fucking dance party ending, goody goody. <laughs> but, the most 1998 uh, of endings. But it does not suffer from the like pervasive cheapness that Hercules did. Like, it doesn't feel like a sudden what the fuck. Uh, like, if 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 I told you that that you know they peaked in terms of solemnity with Hunchback and then they they started to chill out a bit more with Milan, that would seem like a much more natural progression than when you stick Hercules in between those two. Yeah. And also we know that these movies aren't all being made on one track. No, oh god no. That's one of the that's one of the big secrets of it. This is not one contiguous thread of nine movies being made across 12 years with one then the next then the next. What's happening is while they were working on uh on Rescuers Down Under, then Little Mermaid hit shelves. And sure they could have influence on one another, but the fact is like Mulan very much is the one that followed Hunchback in the same way that Hercules kind of, you know, is yeah. from an earlier thread. Well, we talked about this last episode where it's like, you know, Hercules feels like a tonal shift in response to criticisms of Hunchback, but there's no way it is. Yeah. Because we're on yearly churn at this point and it takes a shitload more than one year to make a Disney movie. It's like parking a freighter. Nothing in these movies can be done so quickly. We we are well, especially when you look at the level of sophistication in the animation and the technological mm. development side of this thing, we are so far past the point where Katzenberg could cut 12 minutes of footage <laughs> from a movie and have that movie still come out. Just go fix it. You, you got to remember, just at the start of the decade before this one, you had The Fox and the Hound, where it was entirely possible yeah. that when an animator sketched a page, they had to stick with the scene that he'd sketched because that was how desperate they were for animation frames. They might have lost that animator by the time they were uh, doing color. Yeah, and, that, and, and now we're at the point where there is a company whose job it is to produce software for the production of Disney's own <laughs> films. And that company is itself now making movies. So it's a whole... This is the juggernaut. 
This is the machine nah, that is yeah. Disney that is now fully pumped up. And <laughs> honestly, this is the point where that machine is burning hottest. Yeah. Well, as we're going to learn from the Renaissance, it takes a lot to slow this train enough to be meaningful. Like, we've already begun our descent, but they've yeah. barely lost any speed at this point. There's a history podcaster who's fond of using the phrase, empires can take a hit. <laughs> and Disney oh, is an shit, empire yeah. here. Absolutely. Disney can afford to have a movie underperform by a hundred million dollars. You know, they're not going to be happy about it. But it's not going to kill them. Yeah, and it's not going to stop the movie that's coming out next oh, year. Or the movie that's coming out the year after yep. that. You need just a chain of absolute hell to hit the company. And bad decisions. But anyway, that's for that's for uh, next season's problems. <laughs> yeah, we are talking a lot about this. Yeah, because uh, we don't want to talk that much about the movie. Well, it's true. But, uh, you know, at some point we have to move on to our next segment. Which is The Yikes Door. So... First things first, I don't intend to go particularly deep here. Hi, you may be able to tell by listening to us or all of the stuff we've talked about in our private lives in the past, neither of us is the tiniest bit Chinese. Yes, uh, we are both white uh, people from a settler nation, which is admittedly right next to Asia, but for some reason we say, oh, it doesn't count as Asia because we're racist. But the thing is, I know enough to know the depths of what I don't know about this movie. So, what I wanted to do first is to direct the listener who wants to know about the actual cultural background and realities or ramifications of this stuff to check out the YouTube channel of, and I'm very sorry if I pronounce this wrong, uh, Jiran J. Zhao, who has done wonderful two-hour-long explainer videos on Mulan, the live-action Mulan, Mulan sequels, and a bunch of other different Asian media. She has expertise in the creation of costumes and traditional dress, and it's just long-form stuff. Fox watched some of these with me. I was gonna say thank you for for bringing that up, because I was just about to ask you, do you happen to have the name of the channel? (laughs) Perfect. Read my mind. Thank Uh you. Yeah, so any, uh, any actual nuanced... Uh, informed criticism. We're going to have to defer to people who actually have a right to be talking about that kind of thing. Yeah. And, like, she's spoken to the animators of the original scenes. Like, the level of expertise you're getting out of this stuff is very different. And she can read the Chinese characters on the screen. And sometimes (laughs) they're telling a really funny joke. And sometimes they're showing an animator, you know, patching it with what they could find. It's interesting. But the other thing is, I thought there is a very real risk here as uh, Australians, for us to sit here and talk about this thing that is Asian and American as if it was something it's not. And so I reached out to a friend of mine who is a fellow academic working in archival studies Mm. named Ted. And I asked him just very simply, look, you're an Asian American. You're the same age as me, more or less. This was part of your cultural background uh, in like growing up in America with an Asian element to all this stuff. Can you share some thoughts with me about Mulan? And I'm just going to verbatim read what Ted said to me into the record because I don't want I don't want the only voice here to just be mine. You know, I'm concerned that this specific quote is in the Yikes Door section. So no, not at all. No, no. Okay. No, this is. I'm, this is more like a preface to anything we might find Yikes in. Yeah. Okay. It, it's about what what even could be considered Yikes in this movie okay. per se. Okay. 
I think my favorite part about Mulan was that, especially for its time, it's decently queer. There's a lot of playing around with masculinity. Also, one of my favorite things about Mulan is that as a Disney musical, every song is very tongue-in-cheek and satirical, except for the power ballad reflection, which is the only time the music is genuine and sincere, and it's when Mulan is singing about how she doesn't know how to fit into a society with strict gender roles. The questioning of gender roles is incorporated into the music, where every song is very over the top in its portrayal of femininity, in the first song with the matchmaker, or masculinity, like make a man out of you. But in each case, the visuals of what is happening does not match the lyrics of the song, and conveys an ambiguity of how true those lyrics can actually be. Mulan is one of those cases where I think it's a pretty fun and good movie despite its glaring flaws, which sometimes makes it harder or more delicate to critique. But it's good practice to remember how it operates on an Orientalist level and still can mean something to people. It was a really important movie to me for reasons I would not understand al until almost two decades later, such as the fact that the, by the end of the movie, the two protagonists have not yet officially hooked up, which honestly meant a lot to still not self-aware asexual teen me. And today I understand better its flaws and shortcomings. But in a way, it also helps enrich my love for the movie instead of take away from it, because it reminds me that it is my feelings, not the text itself, that is important. Elevating the text above people is always dangerous. And I just <laughs> wanted to put that on the record, you know? So that was Ted. Anything he said that was smart, that's that's him. And if I emphasize something wrong or delivered it in a way that sounds awkward, throw that on me. So with that in mind, I kind of had the, the inkling that, you know, I bet there are a lot of, you know, Asian Americans for whom this is their movie and they love this movie growing up. And so for me to sit here and go, well, here's some very interesting things about the Orientalism of it. Like, well, who cares? I don't know to what degree it especially is. It has a bit of that tone of Pocahontas of like, this is obviously trying to be a respectful treatment yeah. of a non-white culture and they might be overdoing it just a little bit probably could have you know done with just straight having more people on staff who might actually know shit about it uh, mm -hmm. instead of you know just sort of trying to be respectful but do it themselves kind of thing but yeah i mean that's usually disney's problem and in this case we know that a lot of the asian actors had a lot of influence on the movie <laughs> um just for an example uh ming na wen has the the uh behavioral uh tick habit of touching her hair when she's anxious which is something the animators looked at and went well mulan does that now <laughs> so setting aside what this has to say about china and asia and i'll get into that later oh boy miss man drag show and crossdresser all show up in the first five minutes of this movie it's uh... Like, Miss Man? Miss Man. Like, somebody uh, says that? Yeah, someone refers to Mulan running off to dress as a man in the army as Miss Man. Oh, oh, right, when the ancestors are complaining. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, you could definitely read it as a little transphobic all at the same time being, you know, a uh, closet key fuel. Yeah. For, like, it's, isn't every cross-dressing film like that, though? Yeah. Like. Especially this period. <laughs> Because it's stuff that's, it's stuff being made by people who don't understand or care about a thing that is going to matter to the people who do understand and care about that thing. There is, so, so it's always, and this is a thing for very much a lot of queers of the 90s, you are finding what you can in the shards of the bottle thrown at you. <laughs> yeah, I, 
I have always had a complicated relationship with with cross dress or you know girl has to prove self as man movies yeah. because they well they can never resist the comedy angle. She's always bad at doing guy stuff, and like that's the point. And you know me just sitting there going like it's, it's fucking hard. Why can it not for once be about a girl who just actually is like that? And maybe that's fine. And there is media where she is better <sighs> at that stuff. And that's also treated as comedy because now look at the other guys. They have been emasculated, which is also dumb. And this is a, ultimately a piece of media aimed at eight to ten year olds that says, hey, by the way, you should definitely be aware of and expecting people to patrol the gender boundaries. You're absolutely aiming low there. I know. Disney movies were for teenagers at the very least. But my my point is that this is still stuff that's, it's much the same way that Dopey getting hit by other men is just like, yeah, this is a normal thing. Guys will hit other guys to make them do the things they would do if they didn't have to hit other guys. And this is the same thing. Hey, children, remember, gender boundaries will be patrolled. Mm, I, I think those are two very different things myself. I also have a bit of beef with Mushu performing as a black preacher. I don't enjoy anything about <laughs> Mushu. I think he was a terrible casting choice, a terrible idea. Executed, I guess, as well as he could be, given the fact that you were like, Eddie Murphy, be Eddie Murphy, but as a Chinese dragon god. Hmm. We, cool. We really are suffering a lot for the attempts to re-Robin Williams. Mm, I just, I will never understand why this choice. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hearing what Ted wrote about it, interestingly, sort of clarifies what I don't like about it. Because uh, I think I failed to connect with it because of that sort of, uh, you know, everything is tongue-in-cheek. And... Yeah. And insincere, I'm like, I don't, that's not what I come to a fucking musical for. It is interesting, isn't it? Because, like, musicals, the whole point is, like, you you, you talk until you can't help but sing, mm. you sing until you can't help but dance, and in this case, the singing is all slightly sarcastic. <laughs> and I can handle an ironic song. They're, they're good for, for setting a tone, but not an entire ironic musical. Mm -hmm. And I also, I mean, it doesn't help that I don't find Reflection to be particularly sincere, because it has such a generic uh, lyrical component to it. Um... But also, I don't know, it probably hits differently if you get attached to Mulan. Also, remember that this is, this is Mulan. This is a story about one of the oldest stories of its type. It's like Robin Hood. This is, you know, we didn't know who Mulan was until we watched this movie, but Mulan is an incredibly well-known Asian character. Absolutely. And uh, similarly so, an old enough story that I don't think we get a lot of a human personality pre-attached to this character. Yeah, it's so the archetype. We, yeah. Well, not even an archetype. Like, definitely a distinct story, but it's a story about the actions that a person took. Because that's how... The older a story is, the more likely it is to be a series of events. That, like, you know, you don't get dialogue and introspection and things like that. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that, that's the nature of how super old stories come forward. Um, so I have no idea. Uh, how much that th this particular version of that character, like with the the weird sort of impractical, well, not impractical solutions, the weird sort of creative solutions and and that kind of thing, uh, relate to anything that might be part of the traditional story. Yeah. Um. But, and you know, it's interesting. It's not. It's not an uninteresting thing to do with the character. It gets on my tits a little bit now upon reflection 
because mm-hmm. that sort of Disney shorthand for this is how girls are allowed to be different now. Yeah. Like, that'll be their one fucking thing. It's it's the, the new Disney princess is, you know, acceptably feminine and blah, 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 and all that, but she's also quirky and different. Yeah. <laughs> it's when there's, as with many of these things, it's the fact that there's one of them. Yeah. We don't know what you would do in a variety of situations with a variety of characters because you have... 98% of your princesses follow this template, and then all the variance is made up in that last 2%, and it doesn't sound convincing. It sounds like you're doing a platitude. But that's me criticizing Disney the Empire, which is- It is, yeah. That's not Milan's fault. And, you know, she was the first one to, to really be like that, so yeah, she at least gets a pass. But... And remember, people were also saying similar things about Ariel before- we had Mulan, where people were like, you know, Ariel breaks the mold of the Disney princesses. Like, I, yeah, she does, but that mold sucked. I guess she kind of did a little bit. She more like reinstated the mold because it had been gone for, like, upon watching the seasons, we realized that it barely existed before she was around. It's true. It like, was Snow White, Cinderella, and... <laughs> hey, Aurora's the best one out of those. Don't leave her out. Yeah. I saw a lot of what I think is, like, cheese ball. Uh, Chinese caricatures, but I don't think they're an especially big deal given that the film is full of a, of a diverse uh, range of characters who all look at least attempted Chinese. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, filtered through cartoon characters. Um, so this isn't like, uh, you know, previous scenarios who have been like, ah, how interesting that they should all look exactly like that in terms of facial hair or whatever, because it's the opposite of you've only got one. You have a multitude of characters. You have serious looking characters. You have ridiculous looking characters. You have that one fucking asshole who everyone knows how he should look because that's how that one fucking asshole looks. Uh, <laughs> so it, it is uh, a subverted yikes, I guess. In that this would be hella yikesy if this was the only Chinese character in this film. But yeah. They instead exist in a, you know, filled world full of people. So it's not a big deal. For a movie with so many Asian faces, it's it's really quite nice to see that the animators didn't, you know, didn't, y- you know what I mean? Like, you yeah, can just tell, no, like, there's a decision. They didn't go to the fucking off-the-shelf designs, and, like, rightly so, I would be dragging them <laughs> uh, as hard as possible if I thought they had. Mm-hmm. There's no, <laughs> it's not like, oh, we have to give them some credit for doing this. No, we're just establishing the baseline that they didn't fuck up. I am bothered by the concubine scene right at the end yeah. where it is considered to be important to point out that men dressing as women are exceptionally ugly as concubines. Thanks for the casual transphobia, 90s. Appreciate it. And, like, you did pick ugly men to make into they ugly women. They are remarkably ugly men, sure. Oh, but also, but why are they cross-dressing? There's no well, reason for Yeah, it. actually, that's the real thing. It's, it's supposed to carry the weight of, like, aha, and now... They will only be able to succeed by learning that there's more than meets the eye to being a woman. But actually, it turns out there's exactly what meets the eye to being a woman. Uh, so it, it sort of completely fucks up its own message there. That's This is going to be a recurring theme for me for this movie. I feel like they muddle the message a lot. Uh, I, you know what? Another subverted yikes? Surprising lack of fat jokes. They have one character who is huge and mm-hmm. fat and a food guy. But aside from having him mention a love of food once, really, uh, they don't do nearly as much bullshit with him as you would expect. 
There is some stuff there that definitely would merit unpacking, particularly the fact that he is like a a desexualized safe archetype like we do actually get insight into his vision of romance and as he says it doesn't matter what she yeah what, what, what she's like or what she what she cook what she looks, what she like, looks like uh but what matters is, is food and like that's an archetype there's a lot of times where like fat guys are allowed to exist but they can't be like they can't be seen as whole people because they aren't you know they aren't available on the sexual areas because like you know who would be attracted to a fat guy that opens up a whole that opens up a whole set of questions about like who could love yeah. someone fat and that's itself like again that's a thing you can unpack and unpick and this is a perfectly good example of it it's just you'd want to be doing that as part of a greater whole on that topic rather than this drive-by shit I do. Well, now that you mention it, he is kind of muted in the hyper-masculine space of the army too. Like, he yeah. has the soft, friendly voice and the, uh, you know, monk-like behaviours. And and he's fun! I like him! Uh... It's just, it's undeniable that you can look at him and go, oh, you tick all of the boxes. Well, he's not gross. Yeah. In fact, he's the least gross of Good the, point. the, the, uh, the, I exist to be a gross dude characters. No belching or so, farting. Yeah. No, none of the, no fat slapstick is what it comes down to, which mm-hmm. shouldn't be worthy of mention, but is worthy of mention because it's so fucking unusual. Mm, Disney do not like fat people. I mean, <laughs> nobody likes fat people. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a Disney thing. That's an everybody thing. Mm. This is always, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but this is always the strain of of being a cartoonist. As long as you're working to exaggerate features, you are absolutely in danger of parodying uh, things that make marginalized people marginalized. Yeah. You you can be on a knife edge at some point. Are we going to award the Mongols a yikes for being like barely human? (laughs) I don't know how to feel about that. Are they even called Mongols? Oh, sorry, Huns, not Mongols. Yeah, those are definitely two different things. I think so. I'm not. I'm not okay with that. That okay. Uh I I did mean that as a joke. I thi- I was of the understanding that they are more or less the same thing. But now you got me doubting because history is not my strong point. Big old shrug. And even if they are the same thing, it doesn't change the fact that this is Disney in the '90s, who may have just gone, oh, yeah, more or less, and mashed them together. Yeah, and like. Whatever particular racial extraction they are supposed to be, they are definitely presented as sort of monstrous humanoids compared oh, to yeah. uh, our, our heroes. Grey-skinned, yellow-eyed... Yeah, like fucking Shanyu, yeah, is it? Yeah, Shanyu. Has black whites in his eyes? He has black sclera and he has claws. He has fucking yeah, he has claws. claws! He's got wolfman hands. <laughs> He's yeah. built like Scar dreamt of being built <laughs> it's it's definitely a questionable choice i think and it's not that it doesn't work for what they do with these characters especially shan yu who is essentially a cryptid um like he he is he, he's not a compelling villain he is not a nuanced he's not even a whole character he is more like an animation of angry masculinity which works well within the the movie's themes. Like they they open this movie by having him declare that he's basically here because the emperor waved a cock at him, and he feels he has to respond. Right. So yeah, it's actually quite a good sort of animating force for your villain. But it doesn't change the fact that he's you know a foreign invader with a bunch of of uh, uh, warriors with him who are clearly not human 
at least to the degree that our heroes are. And that's kind of gross. Definitely something to cover in the live action adaptation. Oh god, no! <laughs> oh no, do they do, it's like keep the claws and everything and then they try and explain why and it's magic or some shit? I have oh, no, no! I have no idea. I know that they have a witch god, no. in the live action version. Uh, yeah. Alright, yeah, that's that's about what I know about it. And no song. Which, I don't even like all of the other songs from this, but, you know, I don't feel like taking- I question taking them out entirely. Uh, hi listener. Uh, this is- this is Fox, coming back to you after the edit. Uh, because after we finished our discussion of Mulan, I felt a little bad. Uh, cause I had definitely touched on some turf talking points in that, and I feel like I left them with more air- than they should have had, because uh, I, I briefly mentioned that uh, that a, a gender non-conforming woman turning out to be trans means that you miss out on the gender non-conforming woman representation in favor of the trans rep- representation, and I just want to say, trans people aren't trying to take shit away from us, and uh, Turs would love to convince you that they are, uh, because if, uh, you know, if the patriarchy can get us to fight against one another, uh, and and think that we have to exist on that same tiny allowance of representation and fight each other for it, then uh, they get to keep doing whatever shit they want instead of pleasing either group. Uh, so uh, we absolutely do need more trans characters of every stripe. And uh, while there's definitely not enough representation of gender, conform- of gender non-conforming cis women in media, there is sure as shit even less representation of good trans characters in media. So, uh, I wish you all of that that you can get. Uh, and I'm sorry if I made anyone feel awkward and uncomfortable. Turfs can eat shit forever. Concur. Thank you, friends. Anyway, boy, we're still in the Yike store, huh? I think we're about done with that. <laughs> <laughs> I will award this a less, like, I will award this a less Yikes than you might think. Slam. <laughs> Which means we move on now to talk about the animation and making of this movie. Yay, which is pretty much what we've been doing already. Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> if you don't want a structure, we don't have to have a structure. I will pu- I will turn this podcast no, around. No, it's okay. You can have your structure. I respect it. <laughs> anyway, um, so music-wise for this one. This has bizarre musical choices. I've already complained about the musical numbers a couple of times, so I'll just add on to that of, like, aside from uh, Make a Man Out of You, which is an unimpeachable banger. I think we all know that by now. Um, there's also just some weird scoring choices, like this this scene with the thunderstorm where Milan decides to leave home, which is, like, a fucking 80s montage music backing track for some reason. And I don't understand that, because that is a sincere part of the film. It's supposed to be dramatic. I don't know why it's scored that way. I don't get it. So this movie was originally going to be scored and have the music made by a guy called Steven Schwartz, who you might remember from- I do know him quite well. Hunchback. Yes. Yes. And a few others. He then signed a deal Mm -hmm. while working on this movie uh, with DreamWorks. To make music for their movie, The Prince of Egypt. Uh Uh-huh. And was told, you need to stop that right now or we will strip your songs and credit from this movie. And he didn't drop it. Uh, And so... Wow. He had five songs made for this movie and none of them are in it. Oh, 
fuck me. Well, that explains the bizarreness of this entire exercise as a musical. We're not done yet, because to replace him... They got somebody who writes stage musicals with 80s pop songs? No. 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 They got Mark Wilder, who is the 80s pop star behind the song Ain't Nothing Gonna Break My Stride. Oh. But don't worry, he didn't do all of the music. He was also assisted by a composer, theatrical composer called Zippel, who is mostly responsible for the music for the Swan Princess movies. You made that name up. <laughs> We've got a huge belly and a sack full of Zippels. <laughs> yeah, so Mulan has a very <laughs> different philosophical outlook on its music because... It's the, a disjointed mess. <laughs> it had three people work on it one of whom apparently laid a lot of groundwork that they then had to explicitly tear up. And the thing with that is when you tear up someone's work and then say, we can't do that, you have created regions Mm. where the scar deforms the landscape. You can't do a song that sounds like his songs, so you have to do stuff that definitely doesn't sound like it. And that's, I think, why Mulan sounds the way it does. That explains everything about this. Up to and including... The weird-ass DreamWorks dance party ending. Like, that's not how a Disney movie ends, man. You go out on the score. Yeah. You go out on a crescendo. Then you cut to credits with a stupid pop song. Yeah. Ah, man. And bear in mind that the songs include Reflection, and Reflection was, at least according to the public consciousness of the time, a banger. It got Christina Aguilera a career that's exactly what it was, though. It was a pop song. Yeah. It wasn't a Disney I Want song. It was... you. I mean, the, the person performing it in the movie is certainly not Christina Aguilera, but you can still... It's, it's a different vocal styling to how Disney songs are performed, and one of the ways you know that is that you're getting more pop-styled vocals. You're getting more sliding one note to another. You're getting more don't hold the notes solid, but, you know, do a little trill or whatever. It's nothing like that. <laughs> I don't know where you got fucking aha from in what I was saying, but whatever, I guess. Would be appropriate to uh, nothing gonna break my stride, I suppose. Some measure of meatly and me. <laughs> well, not quite like that, because that's guitar noises, but I'm talking about like empty vocal acrobatics. Right, yep. Which are fine and have their place, but if you've ever yes, listened. Yes, their place is Christina Aguilera. <laughs> That is where they live. <laughs> she is their home. <laughs> no, that's not fair. That's a great injustice to Mariah Carey, if nothing else. And Jessica Simpson. These jokes are really funny if you listen to 90s radio. But, okay. the If you've ever listened to the movie version versus the pop version of a Disney princess ballad, this is something you'll notice. Like, the, the pop performance brings a lot more just vocal wandering around into it because that's what was going on on pop radio at the time. I don't know what it sounds like now. I dread to think. Mm. Um, And in Reflection, that creeps into the movie version, uh, which contributes, along with the instrumentation and everything, to it feeling a lot more like a pop song. Like, that could have just been on the radio in the 90s, which is not something you could say about Whole New World or Colors of the Wind or whatever just as extracted from the movie. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 a weird thing, and I don't like it. It's also probably started a trend at this point that Disney want to continue. Well, Knowing yeah. how things arc from here. I mean, knowing how, <laughs> in the fullness of, of, you know, Disney evolving into their 3D princess era and whatnot, 
like yeah they totally switched up their song style and i miss classic disney musical uh you know instrumentation and, and vocal mm. stylings but they're never coming back at this point they they went out with tangled and they will not be back as far as the voice cast for this goes the voice cast is in principle asian and asian american voice talent and who isn't asian or asian american is also almost always non-white white voice actors do show up but they are either secondary roles or they are uh some measure of oh that makes sense so yeah and like don't get me wrong that's cool but it is kind of a bummer to me that we've got a lot of sort of uh you know any asian will do for chinese <laughs> and then sort of any poc will do for this <sighs> Look, you, you can view it that way, or you can view it the, uh, or you can take it from the position I am, which is to say, white was not the default. That don't, it, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it would have been a lot worse if it had been white people. Still a little bit, uh, but you know, better than the alternative, I guess. In the main cast, you have Mulan as Ming Na Wen and Leia Salonga. You have Eddie Murphy as Mushu. You have B D Wong as Shan. Uh, B D Wong as Shang. Uh, Miguel Ferrer as Sean Yu. Miguel Ferrer is a really interesting one because Miguel Ferrer is Puerto Rican Irish. Ah. But he, during the 80s, he basically was very able to take white guy roles. Uh, so he's in like Robocop and a bunch and, and Hot Shots and he's like very good at that kind of thing. But uh, he's he's got very much not white parentage. And uh, he's George Clooney's cousin. Huh. Yep. Uh Oops. Getty Watanabe is Ling, Jerry Tondo as Chenpo, James Hong as Chifu, Sun Tech O as Faju. Sorry, those are our uh, sidekick trio yep. uh, dudes. Yep. Pat Morita as the Emperor of China. So he'd be Japanese? Yeah, yeah, that, that was, um, for anyone who's watching Karate Kid again, ah. that's Mr. Morita, uh, that's Mr. Miyagi. I see, I see. George yeah. Takei was the first ancestor. Again, Japanese-American, but... I did wonder if that was George Takei or just someone doing their darndest George Takei impression. Uh-huh. Uh, Freda Foshen and James Shigeta as uh, Fa Ling and General Lee. So, like, there are lots of actors in this who, because of a deliberate attempt to forefront, even, even just going, hey, can we get closer? Mm. Got work. And that's good. I like that. Yeah. Closer is at least better. But... That's not to say we haven't seen some old favorites here. Ooh, ooh, um, I'm, I want to say Frank Khan Welker. Yes! Yeah, got it. Bonus points for knowing the name of the horse. I, I don't know, I, I learned pet names in these movies. So. Do you enjoy that I didn't know the names of the three uh, uh, military dude friend characters? Uh-huh. Because <laughs> I hate them. Frank Welker <laughs> is someone else as well. Um, I Do mean, you the know obvious answer name? is Creaky, but... You know the cricket's name, okay. <laughs> Um, and you doubted me. A bunch of the ancestors were Mary Kay Bergman. Yeah, like most of the women in that room were Mary Kay Bergman. Uh, Yao's oh. voice actor is a guy called Harvey Feierstein, who's gay or Feierstein. Look, I'm not. Don't fight me on this. I want to <laughs> say Feierstein, but I mean, I imagine that this depends on how Harvey pronounces it. Yeah, and I don't know how. <laughs> I can show you a picture of him wearing a bright pink suit with a green ascot if you want. It's I-E-then-E-I. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, yes, the most exaggeratedly hyper-masculine character, voiced by a gay dude. And the matchmaker is Miriam Margoyles. I know I know that name, but I'm not sure where from. Ah, so 
You might have seen her name in association with voice acting or acting credits because she has been in a lot of stuff. Okay, that's probably it then. The two roles I thought that you might recognize her from because of your you is <laughs> Fly the Sheepdog from Babe ah. uh, and Grandma Rosie from Balto. Uh, not not uh, characters who get uh, an abundance of dialogue. Uh, Fly surprises me like she's the, the she's just the dog mum. Yeah. She's like a totally played straight, just, you know, adult woman mum character. Yep. Uh, who you might remember doesn't have a, a, an Asian accent. No, no, not at all. No. In fact, that's because Miriam Margoyles is Australian, I Italian, was, and British. I would have assumed she was not Asian based on the name, no. Mm-hmm. Um, but Miriam Margoyles. Oh, there was a lot of Australia in that. Mm-hmm. If you, hmm, if I mention UK lesbian hey. in her older years, there is an Uh-oh. automatic constriction of the, oh, oh no. no, oh no, oh no. Uh, is but, she on Twitter? If she is, we're doomed. Uh, yes, clowning on JK Rowling. Oh, hell yeah! <laughs> yes, uh, Miriam Margoyles yes, uh, also clowned on our prime minister for the plebiscite. Ooh. Um, and has also been clowning on the current British Prime Minister for his handling of uh, the pandemic. I should have seen this coming because, you know, who else was on Babe? Magda Subansky, who is gay as hell. Yes. And uh, kind of outspoken. Mm-hmm. Also not happy with the plebiscite situation. No. So, yeah, oh, it just... Good on you, ladies. Ran- you. Random little bit of trivia of, look, doesn't seem to be one of the bad ones. <laughs> just... You know, nice to see it. Still probably should have got a, a Chinese actor to be Absolutely. Grandma, but... um, the, the matchmaker. Oh, sorry, matchmaker. Yeah, that's right. Grandma's got to be someone, who, like the, a beloved fucking Chinese-American actor, right? Like, the character is so... A uh, lady by the name of June Foray, who, yes, is a beloved character actress. It's just... Uh, <sighs> she was the voice of Rocky the Flying Squirrel. Fuck me. Okay. Yeah, oh, that's such a shame. And like she, she was Lucifer from Cinderella. Like I, I mean, no disrespect on her. I just feel like the particular character of Grandma. Yeah. Uh, uh, would that'd be one of the ones that I would extremely not want to have a white person doing? Yeah, she is Granny from the uh, Warner Brothers cartoons, the one who owns Tweety Bird. But anyway, right, right. She's she's a lot of Grandma voices. Yep. Turns out when you're an old lady in voice acting, you get typecast a bit for some reason. One final note on the voice acting talent in the in China. There are three versions of this movie. <laughs> I know this one. Go one ahead. in Taiwanese, one in Cantonese, one in Mandarin. Uh-huh. In all three of them, Jackie Chan is the voice of Shang. <laughs> and he is the singing voice of Shang. <laughs> because Jackie Chan, in addition to all the other ways he is amazing, is trained in classic Chinese opera and can sing. I adore the idea of, of Jackie Chan being like the heartthrob hunk dude in this movie. It's so good! That's not what he gets to do. No. And it's delightful to me. And I assume he plays it straight as fuck. Yeah. Because that the role is the very straight man character. Yep. <laughs> That's a double meaning. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's totally a... Um, and I try and get my head around the challenges of singing meaningfully <laughs> in a tonal language and then going oh wait no he's singing meaningfully in three different tonal languages and a bit of my brain seizes up and smoke comes out of one of my ears yeah i don't know how that works like i wonder if there is an allowance for uh 
you know, I mean, this came with set music that does not take the language into account. So if there's like just a level of understanding to it. Yeah. And also you're translating it. So do you translate into words that can be tonally matched to the music? Mm. Does tone not relate? Like it's just this web of stuff. And I think this is one of the things that, that kind of like underscores being aware of your own ignorance. Yeah. We don't even know how to approach asking these questions. <laughs> I hope we don't sound like total morons talking about this, but like it's, I, I, I absolutely, I'm with you. I wonder if there is an an effect, uh, and and you know what you do to offset that, or is it just understood that like if you're singing something which is clearly not in this language natively, if it's just understood that mm-hmm. the tonality doesn't count the same way. Yeah. No. You remember how I talked about uh, like smoke and water in Hercules being yeah being Greek style, some being... of the only enjoyable element uh, animated elements to that. The sumie, um, ink the style of the uh, snow and the water. Yeah, the, the snow and the water and the smoke, they all take on those patterns and it looks really cool. I appreciate this movie steering away from realism again. Good choice. Like it. Also the brushstroke animation. Yeah, that one sequence. Worth fighting for. Yeah, I hate that song, but I really enjoy mm. that. I, I would have liked to see a whole song animated like that if we could. It's definitely better than the the comedy song where we just get you know background drops out and you know stars or some shit happen (laughs) yeah we've had a few of those in in renaissance films there's one song where you're allowed to get away with being incredibly lazy with the with uh uh, animation quality Mm. well you can also point to and i know i know this is too damn with faint praise but it stands apart in a big way from guy like you and who gives a shit what phil has to say in the, that, it, well, I mean, it does the same thing as what Phil wants to do, which is it, it's a montage. In, but the problem is that in Phil's case, I hated it and I hated everything associated with the character and wanted them to burn, which means that you're not paying attention to the details of the environment. Whereas in this, they very nicely use every section of the song. Changes in tone, changes in growth. Like, at the start of it, this is a couple of people talking. At the end of it, the whole regiment is singing along. And that shows that this, and this has been over the course of travel over miles and miles of distance, which means that you have had this situation where the creation of narrative is, this is a conversation that stretches over a week of travel or so that has been, and we are compressing it down into a song so that you can feel it and then we cut it out. And like, that's really, really good use of it. I was going to say, you, you need to make use of your scenery in this particular montage song because this is a travel montage rather yeah. than a training montage. If you've not communicated that they've gone somewhere, then you've defeated the entire point of the fucking song. By the way, uh, did you did you catch the weird little motif drop in uh, Girl Worth Fighting For as well? Speaking of things that are more British than you might think. <laughs> no, what do you mean? Yep. Yeah, they fire that off a few times in in the final chorus. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, and I guess, like, I assume that is explained by earlier weirdness re-musical numbers in this musical. Almost certainly. <laughs> but still, yeah. it's a bit, like, a bit of a weird choice Yeah. Uh, to me. Um, and one last note, specifically about character design. Uh, not who you might be thinking. But there is one character I have always felt looked just fucking bizarrely out of place and i do not get what he was inspired by or what he's meant to look like or anything about how they chose to depict this character little brother yeah milan's dog yep what the fuck 
Little... That's a weirdly out of place animal in this movie, right? He's not styled like any of the other animals. So, fun fact, Lil Brother is deliberately made to look out of type. Yeah, no kidding. Lil Brother is a reference to a competing version of the Mulan myth, where it is not to protect her injured father, but to prevent her brother from having to go to war. And because of that, they decided to interject Lil Brother and they wanted to make him odd. That's... Ah, I... I don't understand why looking like he belongs in a different movie was the correct choice. I he he does look like he's from like a Garfield cartoon yeah. or a, or a Warner Brothers one. It's but, a really weird design. But then again, also Yao with the teeth. I commented that that's like a really Warner Brothers moment. So yeah, I mean, there's some slapsticky stuff in here. It's not a big deal. Yeah, but yes, you are right. Especially uh, Little Brother's eyes. Nothing yeah. has eyes like Little Brother. And he also doesn't like. And it's not because they wanted to make him look like a particular kind of dog or anything either. Like, I, no. I don't know what he's supposed to be. He sure shit doesn't look like any breed of dog they would have had in China. When I learned that Little Brother was deliberately meant to be set apart from the rest of the animation, I thought, oh, so surely he looks like a traditional Chinese cartoon or something. Couldn't find anything on that. Don't know. <laughs> I wish he'd been one of those little puffy lion dogs. That would have been adorable. Yeah. But I just... That would have betrayed too much status for the family, though. I can understand there being some meaning behind his oddness. I just still feel it was a not the right choice because he sticks out in a distracting way to me. He looks more out of place than the fucking animated ancestor dragon who talks like a black guy. Mm. <laughs> That's weird. That's a weird choice. <laughs> well, I mean, there are black Asians. It's just... Okay. Who not talks that like Eddie kind. Murphy specifically. Yeah. <laughs> I did just recall one more thing, uh, which is noting that I feel like they've really dialed in the CG integration again. Like, yeah, it was it got awkward in Hunchback. It was hella shaky in Hercules. Feels good here once again. They have some serious army scenes, which are definitely using CG to fill out their ranks and some panning scenes, which are surely done with CG. Uh, But it looks way more natural. Uh, It does not stick out or, or distract you from what you're supposed to be paying attention to in a scene. Just looks good. They got there. Yeah. Very pleased with that. It's a, um, it's an interesting series of peaks and valleys because as the CG gets capable of more (laughs) things, they try something ambitious and the ambitious execution tends to be bad, but it tends to lead to a less ambitious, much more better looking thing next movie. Same thing with, uh, with the Aladdin cave sequence compared to the wildebeest sequence in the sequ- in the subsequent movie. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, you know, I ragged on the background characters in Hunchback, which is... And this is almost certainly the same software. They've just dialed in how to make it look a, a shitload better. Yep. And, uh, you know, also, it must be said, kept the camera further out from them uh, when they've used it too. Like, the problem in Hunchback was always when you got those near shots and for a second there wasn't anything in the foreground to distract you from how bad the, the CG characters looked. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there were none of those awkward moments in, in Milan. I appreciate that they got there. So with that, <laughs> I think that leads us to what I can very briefly describe as a grand thesis of sorts here. Yeah, what do you got? I've talked a lot about Edward Said and the book Orientalism, which was a 70s book that more or less kind of hit academia like a thunderbolt saying hey guys what the fuck and in that book there are a bunch of different ideas established about the way that other cultures are represented and a detail in this idea space of orientalism as a storytelling device is that we use orientalism 
to take our own traits and project them onto others in a way that makes them clearly inferior, even though we are just looking at stuff we do. So you have the ancestor worship, the the draft which constrains people and honor that must be fulfilled, despite the fact that everyone involved can look at this and go, that's stupid. Yeah, good point. We should have been talking about this at the Ike store. The unrealistic and unreasonable gender normativity that is imposed on Mulan, all of these ideas, all of these expressions, the, the, the military draft to defend the empire in a place you don't know and don't care and that will chew up your family in the name of an ideal of the nation, that's Britain. That's that's not China. That's not not China, but for settler state people yeah. of colonies to sit here and go, oh, why don't we tell a story about the interesting and mysterious past of China and it just so happens that the actions and values are all mapped one-to-one onto British values. It's not to say that these people don't have an honor-based culture. It's not to say that they don't have these things like matchmakers or whatnot. But the reason we have the word matchmaker isn't because we got it from China. <laughs> that's a really nice point. Like, that's not an, an awkward translation of a word. No. That's something we had a word for. And you can you can one to one map the entire story of Mulan onto Shakespearean England or France or America right now, and it will work just fine. And this is not because it is universal, because it isn't necessarily universal. There are, in fact, many cultures where the idea of a woman suiting up and going to war to protect her family would be unremarkable. Ironically, one of those cultures is the Mongols, but. We have those values that we then hyper-attenuate, stick in another culture, and then use that to gawk at that culture. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and also clarifies some of my feelings about this movie. Because the other issue I have with this is that, okay, uh, the point where I saw this, I was, this was my last year? 15. My last year in high school. I, I went to year 10. Yeah. Um, and so I was beyond the, but what if a girl do boy things story and into the girl do boy things, get to the interesting part. Yeah. Like I, I'm still, my sensibilities are still pretty fucking second wave feminist in that I love macho women. That is kind of my thing being a big hairy girl myself. Um, Completely unironically here for Lady Zapfrau's Dower. <laughs> Lady Rouse Dower, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, I, this is one of the reasons that I adore the shit out of Monstrous Regiment, because it took this plot and went, no, nah, but what if that's everyone all the time and <laughs> has been forever and gender nonconformity is just so pervasive that it's literally every fucking where you look? And, and that, oh, that delighted me deeply. Um, so, like, I was already primed to not be super into this, but also, I guess, as an element of that, that campness and that tongue-in-cheekness, and also as an element of what you've just described with projecting values, mm-hmm. uh, as a way of <laughs> a racist alternative to self-reflection, mm, and, because and- Milan is really ham-fisted in its approach to these things, like, it's so... Big strokes, baby's first idea of of gender oppression. <laughs> like it's 
It's played a little on the nose. And bear in mind, it's that compartmentalization that lets us also forgive ourselves. Because we say, well, you know, it, it, you know did you see how things are in... And you'll yeah. hear this. You'll hear this no, all the time. From the atheists, classic like, idea of of like, uh, you know, well, I, I mean, you know, we we may have <laughs> some problems with gender equality, but you know, have you heard about foot binding? Yeah, or or Afghanistan, oh, or God, any yes. given Muslim country, or anything like that. It's it's exactly the same thing. It's the it's the dominant culture parceling up its own sins, mm. attaching them to someone else. And then acting as if that represents the other group, which is, it's, it's a special kind of social evil. Mm. And before now, I was just kind of ticked off that it was so, um, so clumsy about it. Like, before we had this discussion, I was just thinking of it in terms of like, God, this is some really loud, clearly spelled out, non-nuanced uh, storytelling and beating you over the head with a theme, even for a fucking cartoon. Uh... But in light of this conversation, suddenly it seems a wee bit more sinister, I have to say. Like, same thing with the draft, where it's like, you know, well, this is very plainly and obviously an injustice that there's no functional human being who couldn't see why this is stupid and unreasonable. Um, and, and that's exactly the same way that all the gender-coded stuff works. It's like, you know, this is for all that these are real and bad and serious uh, uh, gender role ideas, they are then played up even further for the sake of this movie. And it's just, it's a lot. It's very larger than life. And that always just made it feel, I guess it felt a little condescending to me, really. It was just like, you know, hey, sure don't like them gender roles, huh? And it eliminates the more nuanced kind of like, well, no, no one expects me to make myself up like a doll and cinch my waist and parade around and I can bring value to my family in only one way or whatever. But, like, that's not what we need to talk about in the current modern conversation. (laughs) How about we talk about, you know, just the fact that people still do assume I will want a baby because I am a woman of an age and that's just how women's be. Yeah, it's just one of the default conversation topics we can bring up between the ages of you being 16 and 60. <laughs> 16 and I'm going to say like 40 maybe. God, I'm hoping people will stop bringing it up when I'm 40. <laughs> There's uh, a quote from Salman Rushdie, which I can't find at the moment and I'm not going to chase too hard, where he was at one point criticized for not extolling Indian stories compared to the British stories he did and he did this breakdown of Pride and Prejudice where he pointed out that all of the modern narratives of Indian stories can be reflected just as readily in these British ones and it's like it's the same thing it's just it's coming from the different end of the power spectrum where someone Hmm. is going Indian people read Pride and Prejudice it's basically you and like (laughs) what can you do well you can be aware of it and you can criticize it, and you can try and do better, I guess, rather than just give up with a, hey, what do you do? Oh. You start a podcast and drag it with one of your dearest and closest friends. <laughs> oh, that colonialism, what you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> Gosh dang, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> because that's a voice that we have had been told, that's an appropriate way to communicate this tone. You can't exactly have it be the voice of the guy at the traino, who's heard... You know, you heard the thing the government's doing? 
You can't you can't put that voice on and have anyone understand you. Oh, well, that's true. I thought you meant like it doesn't suit the mindset. And I'm like, oh, I, th- I think it might suit the mindset. Actually. Absolutely no, suits the right. mindset. The, the joke doesn't get across the same way, does it? <laughs> and if I put that if I put that voice on <laughs> with the slightly nasal tone. You might accidentally say <laughs> on the air. <laughs> so shall we move on to whatever land? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, let's let's get on out of here. Real real skinny on whatever land. Apparently, we already got our angries out with the yikes door and, <laughs> and, and and yelling about this stuff. Nothing I wanted to comment on comment on seemed trivial. So, uh, Yao, when he talks about relationships and women, that's our little growly guy, right? Yeah, with the one eye. Yep. Uh, Yao is absolutely only interested in men. Yao doesn't care what women look like he cares how women perceive him he cares about how other men perceive themselves he cares about how uh uh men reporting how they are seen can be backed up by how they are seen yao is incredibly focused on dudes and i find that funny with the whole gay voice actor thing it's kind of neat yeah. i like that it carries over into the ill thought out cross-dressing scene as well like, yeah. still, he is only concerned with how he looks, just now within the context of wearing a dress. Yeah. Also, the visual gag of everyone pulling out something that could be a boobs, and he pulls out a melon and a banana. That was an excellent <laughs> visual gag. I will pander to... Still not worth having the whole cross-dressing no. happen for, b- before, but the idea of everyone else at, everyone else whipping out round falsies and one guy holding a banana is very... I, I enjoy that a lot. Yeah. That's a good bit. Really good, good joke. Speaking of that cross-dressing scene, that moment when when Shang joins the, the line. <laughs> Where's your dress, motherfucker? <laughs> so, oh, and the looks that exchange between them, and I just, in a better world. Let Shang be pretty. <laughs> I find myself longing for the, the asexual ending of this, where, like, they are, in fact, just army buds, because Ping occasioned a gay awakening that that cannot be walked back and he's like yeah well i mean i i love and respect you as as my comrade and and my equal now but i'm i'm actually not into you anymore because you made me realize i am in fact the gay <laughs> let's go uh, on adventures together and find me a boyfriend oh god that would be delightful <laughs> i mean omelan can just be trans but i suppose that <sighs> the problem with every cross-dressing girl turns out to be trans narrative is that then you also eliminate a non-gender conforming woman and like can't we just have both can't we just have both just have more stories with this stuff yes more more and all possible outcomes we have had at this point a fairly decent crop of disney protagonists and this is the first one i can think of where she has premeditatedly fucking murdered someone (laughs) oh Oh, I really want to think this through now. I, I swear there's another one. We've definitely had some other ones who would be willing to murk someone, but she sent a guy to get a bomb. Yeah. And then she pinned him in place so the bomb hit him. There is no oops, he fell off the roof bullshit here. Mulan would kill a man and she'd do it again. She shot a rocket at a mountainside and killed <gasps> dozens of people. Some of whom were almost certainly her comrades. I mean, we—it's a very small parade when they get back to town, and I didn't see the the Huns killing anyone. Mm. I feel like she killed most of their army. Mulan will fuck you up. She has a massive body count. 
Uh-huh. I mean, Nala will also fuck you up, but... She's an animal. It doesn't quite count the same way. And we haven't seen anything like the, uh, the, the sheer numbers of, of, uh, Milan there. Like, whoo, 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 I, I mean, I have complicated feelings about this movie. I enjoy, this is going to sound wrong, I enjoy when Shank's father dies. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy that moment because we have thus far had a narrative about a heroic and competent man leading naive men who need to, well, naive boys who need to turn into men style of narrative. And this is the point where we realize he might be more naive than everyone because he clearly thought his dad was invincible. Yeah. Like, he definitely had the military myth of his dad in his mind. And uh, the disillusionment there is fucking brutal. And uh, that, as much as I feel a lot of the themes of this movie are a wee bitty broken, uh, that one, I think, that turning of the tables is really good and really well executed. And sort of explains him being a, a dick for, uh, for the foreseeable future. Because he's fucking wrecked right now. Oh, right, while we're on the topic of Shank. That's right. I, I do enjoy our lead-in where our, our little uh, uh, Emperor's Council, our, our scheming, shit-eating villain bad guy, is, um, you know, doing everything he can to get in Shang's way and, you know, try and um, try and insert himself for promotion instead and whatnot and whatever. And we're obviously given to under understand that he is a corrupt, scheming douchebag who will do whatever, right? But we also do have it clarified in that scene. That nepotism is a factor. Yeah. <laughs> he is definitely scoring a promotion because that's his dad. That scheming dude also, he says he worked his way up to his job. No one corrects him. And also, I can't think of a single thing he does in that that isn't be a man wrong. Like, he's not, he, I don't remember him lying on a report. I don't remember him giving Shang bad advice. I just remember him taking notes, being scrupulous, and yes, being a petty vindictive dick by no means wrong, by no means forgive him for that, but nonetheless, it appears that because this guy is kind of mincing, he's just like, well, this guy sucks and everyone in the universe should hate him. He does have a bit of that fuck coding to it. It, it is definitely implied that his report on the recruits is going to be unfair and deliberately designed to uh, interfere with Shang's uh, military career. Like, we are shown through the, the banger training montage that they have in fact developed and become very competent and, and are definitely, like, worth sending to war in as much, I mean, you know, <laughs> in as much as sending a bunch of people to fucking get killed is a good plan. Like, we, we are certainly given to understand that he is being unfair with regards to that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, otherwise there's no real difference in, like, you know, he insists that Milan's dad go to war, but so does everybody else. He's not unique. He just does it in the most assholey way possible. Uh, it's pronounced eunuch. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, well, okay, I mean, he does specifically, like, he has the dumbest and stupidest lines about women all through the film. Like, yeah. he is straw man levels of, like, you know, internet meme. About woman haters bad. He's he's little boy sneering from inside a treehouse levels of misogynist. Uh-huh. Uh, so I guess there's that. And so, with our last footnote here, let us speak ever so briefly of capitalism. 
Mm. All right, Fox. Budget. Did well, it go up or down and by how much? <laughs> Did it indeed. I was outrageously surprised to find out that Hercules went up yes. last time. So now I'm very cautious. Uh, but I would not at all be surprised if if the fact was that this movie did more with less. So I think that's what I'm going to bank on. Mm-hmm. If not equilibrium, then a slight drop in budget. So the budget for this one was $90 million, which is $5 ah, million went up a little bit over. Again. Yeah. Damn. But also the two years this was being made versus the two years... I know, I know. Like, it's $5 million <laughs> is a rounding error at that point. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll give myself close points for that one. Yeah. But they're still not starting to roll back, as I imagine. Which means maybe they're never going to. I don't know. What about the uh, take? Do you think it went up or down from Hercules and by how much? Gotta be better than Hercules, because Hercules was actually a disappointment. Um, like, this is not a hunchback story where it's just, yeah, it didn't do as well as The Lion King. Big fucking surprise. Yeah. But there's no way it's going to be a disaster like Hercules. Uh... Yeah, disaster in Disney terms, which is to say, we only made two thirds of what we expected. Yeah, Our empires budget. can take a yeah, hit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, God, what was Hercules? I want to say they two hundred twenty-five million. And they only got. Oh, is that Milan's number? Hercules was two hundred twenty-five million. Hercules, two hundred. Yeah, and they were expecting uh, over three. Million. Yeah, sorry, three hundred million. Sorry, three hundred million. Yeah, so they're only off by 100. Um, I, well, I'll make this easy. I'm going to say Milan exceeded the target for Hercules. It made over 300. It made spot on 300 million. So it made 75 million more than Hercules. Listen, I'm going to call that a win. Yeah. and uh, Especially because if it's on the dot, I'm guessing they rounded it off. (laughs) Yeah, but it also has that side effect of reminding you that, like, even Hercules, which, like, Hunchback is regarded as a failure in hindsight, even though only by people who are butts and stupid poopy heads. <laughs> and Hercules has people trying to say, oh, it was a maligned classic. No, it's not. It's terrible. Nah, it's pretty bad. Um, but it still managed to just rake in the money. After The Lion King, it's very easy to feel like, you know, is this the failure? Is this the failure? Is this the <laughs> failure? And when Hercules yeah. is the first point where profits actually dropped below the previous movie, it was like, oh, okay, so this is where the dam bursts. But then Mulan comes along and smashes it right back up to near Aladdin numbers. Yeah. Well, as you say, empires can take a hit. Yeah. Like, Hercules was a bad movie. It made less than expected, which is exactly what it deserved. Mulan is, while not great as far as I'm concerned, not a bad movie. Certainly not as bad as Hercules. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it. Um... And the bits where I didn't enjoy it were less painful. <laughs> the bits that I enjoyed of Milan, I enjoyed a lot. There it's are three minutes. Great moments. No, not just the song, <laughs> but also like storytelling beats and some some pretty cool other things. Like there's there's definitely stuff to like in here. I will say, by Christ, it tests my patience for bad advice stories. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I de- this one I feel like I've definitely got to get you to watch the sequel for at some point cause... up there with liar reveal bullshit <sighs> yeah yeah which you, I mean you get that in this movie too effectively <laughs> yeah the, the moments that I did like in this I liked a lot the moments that I liked in Hercules are like that is also <sighs> one banger yeah one the, the uh, yeah the only part I can really say that I like about that movie is in fact Megara's song and, and a couple of her lines Everything else is 
aspiring to the lofty heights of inoffensive. <laughs> Whereas Milan is sometimes uh, and overall disappointing for me. It does at least, you know, raise the bar into shit. Yeah, it's got some fucking ambition. Yeah, it's it's here to do something. And part of that is the 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 uh, cheapness of Hercules is pervasive in like every aspect of it, mm-hmm. and being unambitious is is one of those things. But uh, Milan at least feels like it belongs in the Renaissance, mm-hmm. except for that goddamn dance party ending. Now, a thing you might have noticed with the vo- with the uh, credits here is um, Musker and Clements haven't worked on one of these for a couple of movies. Oh well, I mean they've obviously just been working on something else while these two are in production. Yep. You can't get a movie a year out of those guys. Yep. And it's not going to be the next one either. Wow. But 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 who would they get to do the music on the next Disney musical? <laughs> they have so many excellent proven duos to, to ask. Ah, <laughs> oh, surely not another Mencken and Schwartz. I, I'm not that lucky. No, I, I definitely can't have that. No, no. Schwartz just burnt all his bridges. <laughs> Oh, that's true. It's true. It's true. Ah, oh, so sad. He was my favorite. Yeah, and and honestly, for a pretty good reason. Like you could have attached your name to Mulan's music, uh, or you could attach your name to Prince of Egypt's music, and one of those is going to make you look like a much more principled stand. I mean, if we're going to get down to it, Prince of Egypt is probably more like a Disney movie than mm-hmm. Mulan is, and musically well, more like a Disney Renaissance movie. Sorry, than Mulan is. And musically, uh, your bonus micro piece about the Prince of Egypt, the type of instrumentation Prince of Egypt uses involves a lot more traditional Hebrew musical instruments, and it, it's very interesting. Whereas for Mulan, there's, there's more synths than I was expecting. <laughs> I mean, we, we don't know what Mulan would have been originally, True. but as it is now, yeah, it's a fucking mishmash. There's <laughs> a lot of shit going on here, most of it's really weird. Anyway, next one's Tarzan, and I get to talk about classic pulp novels. Mm, well, I I don't know, but that sounds like it could look beautiful, and you sure have a lot of opportunities for interesting music too, so let's see how we go, Talon. Have you noticed how everything in this season has to some extent been opening a box and going, what's inside? Oh, it's colonialism again! <laughs> Well, you know how we can feel better about colonialism, Talon? With a cool dance party ending! Ain't nothing gonna break my stride, <laughs> nobody's gonna slow me down! Oh no, come on, you know the words! <laughs>